0: Friends, Chris Sotter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message all right so i i am telling um uh, one of my favorite stories. And I've, I've learned that if you've been a part of Neighborhood Church for like the last five years, you've probably heard the same 13, 14 stories I've told like every year. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember this one. But this one, I don't know if ever shared. And it is gold and it fits perfectly. So growing up, I growing up, I, I still to this day have um, four other siblings. There's seven in our family. And my dad um, would take us to McDonald's. We'd go through the drive-thru. We'd hop in like the big Suburban. And, uh, we, we drive, you know, the one like that's like tan and brown and can fit like a hundred people. So we drive and we get up to the, um, as we're waiting in line, the drive-through, my dad would say, Hey guys, kids, what do you want? And we'd like all look at each other. Like, well, you usually just, just order for us. He's like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. Today's different. Like, what is it that you, what, what is it that you want? And would be like, are you serious? Like, I want a happy meal. Oh, happy. Meal, how many do you want? And we'd like, Dan and I, and my brother, be like, hey, what's going on right now? All right. Like, seriously, dad? Like, um, yeah, I guess I would like two. Can I have two? Sure. Yeah, sure. Like, what else? I'm like, what do you mean? What else? He's like, Well, do you want? Ice cream? Ice cream is never on the table. Of course we want ice cream. And he'd, we'd go through this whole, everyone, he'd get everyone worked up and get to the window without fail. Every time he'd go, they're like, what do you want, sir? And he'd say, uh, can I get six hamburgers and one large soda and six cups? <laughs> we had to split soda because there wasn't free refills then and uh, you didn't be like ah well, i fell for it again which that story sets up the bigger story is then with my friend barry we're going to the movie short circuit all right slam that like button if you guys remember the short circuit movies uh and his mom was a manager at parties in cloquet and so we stop to get some dinner and she goes chris um what do you want and I'm like looking, and I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna fall for this one again. And I'm like, sure, okay, well, let's let's see how this goes. I'm like, all right, yeah, I guess um, I'll get a double cheeseburger. Yeah, two slices of cheese up on that, right? And I, she's like, okay, like what else? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, how about a medium fry? Yeah, I'm not going small. I'm not going big because I'm too humble. My parents told me never to do that, but I'm going going medium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's like, okay, well, do you want something to drink? I'm like, yeah, give will have a large soda with one cup. That's six, just one. And she's like, oh, okay, a- anything else? And now, now I'm just I'm just playing with it. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'll have one of those cookies. Hardy's used to make um, chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> they were so good. And they'd come warm because they were in that light, and they probably lived in that light for like, two years but as a kid you don't care warm cookies and so I'm waiting for like the other shoe to drop and we're at the table and she comes with the tray and she sets it down and guess what I got all of it it was mine and I had this epiphany of like this is a thing people in the town I live in can actually request something at a McDonald's or Hardy's and they actually get it they don't have to split it with six other people and it, I it was like I had this like just my mind was blown. Because in my lived experience, that was never an option, right? Like when you had to take a bath as a kid, you didn't let that water out. You had to save the bath for the next person, right? Anyone else like that? That's, that's, that's being a large family, man, right? And so there's like those kind of truths. But then there's also these other truths that that we know exist, right? There's, the, there's this energy that we know is out there, but it's not always easily accessible. And we don't always have... Um, Uh, We do not always have language for it. And we talk about this often. I think it's very important, right? Uh, In Proverbs, um, the author says that wisdom, this this way of being, not just way of understanding, but this way of being, this way of seeing, um, is baked into all of creation, right? It's there. And it's surprising when we hit those spaces. It might be um, when you were in college and you heard a professor talk about social activism for the first time. You thought, that's something I could get behind. Maybe it is um, when you listen to Yo-Yo Ma for the first time. Maybe it's uh, when you're up late with your friends and you have to yell, please stop, I'm going to pee my pants. Right? Those are gold moments, right? Maybe it's in reading Dr. Martin Luther King's um, letters. Maybe it was in holding your kid for the first time, maybe it's when you fell in love, right? You have these like moments. You don't always know how you got there. You don't, you can't like always manipulate the system to, if I do A, B, C, and D, then I get this magical moment, right? You just can't yell, Oh, stop. I'm going to pee my pants. And it's like, Oh, you don't have that deep, deep feeling that deep love. But those moments, those spaces, we need those. And now that I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit older, right? I can look back and recognize when I was a teenager and in my 20s, how those things would pop up randomly. And I wasn't able to appreciate it as much as I do now. Like, I think when I was a teenager, one of the highlights of my summer was um, (laughs) two words that we put together that have two totally different connotations. Like every kid that I know, like wants to go to camp, like summer camp. I'm like, let's go to camp. We're going to do cool things at camp. But we went to Bible camp. <laughs> totally different feeling. <laughs> it told me, like, what are you going to do this? I'm like, I'm going to go to camp. Oh, what camp? Oh, Bible camp. Ooh, all right, happy for you. But Bible camp was amazing. It was in Foston, Minnesota. And I'd go with all my friends, with Nikki. So we got to, like, hold hands and drink shakes. Um, and at night, we would have chapel. And, like, I don't, um, what's the right word? Those spiritual moments were very, very impactful for me, very significant. And I don't question the um, like the depth of those. And it would be through worship and an inspiring message, and, um, and we'd pray for one another, and I just found a, a, a deep sense of belonging. And some people call it like it's a thin place between heaven and earth. And it just, it felt so right. It felt so safe. It felt so good. And the, and the, the preacher, the speaker, at the last night, every night would say basically the same message. Be like, you have the fire of God inside you. And we're like, we got the fire of God. And he's like, don't let that fire burn out. Take it with you. Burn your Green Day CDs and break the Nirvana CDs in your room, right? And like, go and save all your friends from hell and save all your family. And it was like, and we're like, yeah, they're Boo, Kurt Cobain, right? And, we, and I believed it. I believed I can take this fire with me because I had it in this space. And at camp, we have this experience. So I must be able to take that fire to church or I must take that fire to my school or to my friends. And sure enough, I'd get home and two hours later, I'm like, man, Kirk Cobain slaps. This is really good, <laughs> right? And all the things I said I was going to burn, all the things I said I would never do again, Lord, right? I was doing it again. And I would have this deep sense of shame. Why? Because what I was told is if you do this, this, and this, you get the fire, right? And you have the fire inside of you, and so you should be able to take that fire. You're good enough at this space to take that fire and go, and it's up to who? Me and my actions and my thoughts, and if I just do the right things, I'll have the fire, and sure enough, the fire would go out. Why? Because that's what happens. But no one explained to me that Jesus lived 28 years, right, before he did any of like the miracles that we are aware of. No one explained to me that Paul... Took about two to three years of from his crazy conversion story on the road, right, to when he started doing his ministry. Like, no one explained that stuff to me, and so I just carried with me this this huge disappointment of I'm not good enough, and if I am good enough, I should be able to do this, right? Am I alone in that in that feeling, right? See Richard Rohr in his book. <laughs> This book I've talked about last week, but I'm bringing it up again, called Falling Upward. It is one of the most um, transformational books I, I've read. I still go back to it often. And he talks about that experience, right? And he calls it a first half, second half kind of life. And not as in years of like once you hit 40, now you're in your second half. Once you hit 50, it's, it's all about like um, a way of being, a way of how you view yourself, how you view the divine, how you view the world is there's a first half of life and second half. And the first half um, is, uh, imagine, it's, it's, it's us building our ego. It's us f- like discovering our sense of self. And the best way to describe it is imagine that your um, life is a large container. And as you're growing up, you are seeing from your parents or from your family of what this family system looks like. And so you, you take that truth and you put it in your container. And maybe at youth group, you're finding out what, uh, what God is and how meaning we, what meaning we make of God and you should have this fire and some really beautiful things And we're throwing in there and also some really traumatic, not so good things. We're finding out what it means to belong in a circle of friends. For, for me, um, going to a school that was um, almost all white and living in a very white neighborhood, I made some formations of what it means to be a white man, Right? And I'm putting that in my container, and that's how I'm going to go into the world. Um, I'm going to see what it means to like have violence and power and war, all those things. I mean, we're we're, we're just constantly making meaning, and in our culture, this is what we celebrate, right? Because when you're feeding your ego, and that's not always bad, but this is what is celebrated in our culture is feeding ego of I'm going to be the best self that I can be. I don't. That's like a. A very positive statement but when you make it all about yourself because we all want to what ascend we want to be the best musician we want to be the best friend the best um kid the best partner the best lover right the best christian the best employee and we're and we're, we're trying to ascend that ladder and we will work incredibly hard at that and not take time to evaluate what's really in that container. Because why? It's helping me get to where I am today, and I need to be somewhere else tomorrow, right? I I, I talk about this often, but I love it. Because when we live in an ascension culture, right? When you live in an ascension culture, you are going to just double down on you getting what you want, right? You're going to work hard. Like, for me, I um, had a job as a pastor where I worked easily 65 hours a week early on. This is when my, my just we just started having our babies. But it was rewarded. It was it was told to me and it was backed up. If I worked longer hours, I'd work six days a week uh, and I would work about four nights, sometimes five nights a week, um, helping build a youth ministry. And it was amazing. And there were some great um, and beautiful things that happened in that and as a result of that. Um, but something inside me says, No, you gotta work more, you have to build more. I was told you can maybe get paid more, right? Because we were underpaid. If you get 50 new families in the church and they start giving, then then you maybe could get make more money. It's like, oh, okay, so if I want to be able to provide for my family, I better get stuff done, right? And it wasn't until much later I look back and say, I don't have to like dunk on myself or dunk on that, that system. But maybe we could do it in a way that's not, maybe healthier. Maybe we could have a, a similar impact without feeling, I need to ascend, I need to climb this ladder. Right? Have you been here before? And usually it's the metaphor, if we climb this ladder and we find out this whole time we spent um, investing and doing and, and trying and succeeding, and you get to the top of the ladder and you realize you don't really like the wall that the ladder's on. Right? You've been there before? And this is what Richard Ward talks about: how we go from a first half of life to begin to the second half of life. There comes an event, usually some sort of deep pain, usually some sort of awakening that um, invites us to look at the container, to look at our past self. This is why we have um, uh, not middle management, midlife crisis. <laughs> maybe why we have maybe middle management as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, mid, midlife crisis. Right, this is not just some like funny movie. Right, I think uh, art reflects culture. Is that um, usually meant not limited only to but men will get to this place of where life catches up to them, they're on the ladder and they're realizing either I don't like where it's going or other I'm not as valuable, not as important. So, what do they do? They buy the new car, they they um have an affair or they get a divorce and marry someone younger. They take these big risks because they, what they're seeing is previous half of life and looking what's in the future. And do I like where I'm going? Do I like who I'm becoming? My my therapist, Dr. Heather Rose Carlson taught me this and I'm so thankful. It's something I think about often. Um, I was 35, 34 And I was meeting with her and I started finally being honest about some of the things that I experienced. Some traumatic things, some things that I caused, I imagine caused trauma in others. Some questions I had about my beliefs and just who I was. And I basically, I'd talk for like 10 minutes and then I'd cry for 40. That's essentially how our sessions went. One time she said, Chris, I probably said something like, why, why am I doing this? Am I crazy? And, And she goes, Chris, What happens is when you're like in your early 20s, when you move out of your parents' house, you look back at your previous life and you think, um, no longer am I just Denny and and Ann's kid. I'm Chris. And what kind of man do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be just like how I was 15 through 20? And you're going to start pivoting and moving and taking some things from your family, but some of the things that you want to leave behind. And you're going to go be your best self. She goes, then it happens again about 20 years later in your 30s or 40s, you're going to begin to look back at the man that you've become. And now you're gonna be thinking about who you want to be moving forward. Time moves a little bit slower, right? Life becomes a little bit more surreal. And she goes, most people never take the time to look at their container. Most people never take time to look back at their life and say, who am I becoming and is this who I want to be? Do I want to carry this with me? Do I have a mental health disorder Do I want to continue to use money this way? Do I want to continue to use people's bodies this way? Do I want to continue to my own body this way? Are the habits that I've formed actually working for me to be who I want to be on purpose? And she said, it's not fun. It's going to kill you. It's going to hurt to have to pull back that blanket and look in your container and see what you really believe and who you are. But if you don't, she goes, it's going to, You're gonna be able to suppress that for maybe another 20 years. And it's gonna come up in your 60s and 70s and you won't know what to do with it. You won't have the time. You won't have the same um, opportunity to process it because now you don't have another 40 years. And she goes, this is why you see people in their 70s and 80s who are lonely, who are cranky, right? Who uh, would just make it uh, about themselves, who isolate themselves because they didn't do the work. And I, I, it, it, it ruined me, man. <laughs> and if there's a way to like scare you straight, that was it. I'm like, well, then here's the other things I haven't been honest about, Heather. <laughs> right? And it, it was very, very, very hard. But if we never take the time to pull out our container, our ego, and evaluate it, then we can't grow to something else. And this is what Richard Burr says. That's the second half of life. But what it takes is a death it's an absolute death. And we don't like that word. We don't like that concept. Richard Lord is in his introduction of Falling Upward, he says, I'm convinced it's not love that makes the world go round. What makes the world go round is we all lie to ourselves that we're never going to die. <laughs> That's what keeps it going. But death death is this is all around us. Death is a part of this system. Jesus speaks about this, right? Jesus says in Matthew 16, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will find it, right? John 15, Jesus says, um, no greater love than this is to lay down one's life for one's friend, right? Jesus speaks about it over and over and over again. But, but he, here's the thing. It's easy just to hear those things and say, oh, Jesus is foreshadowing his death on the cross. And yes, he is. And. It's a yes And. You see, if we limit just, if we limit salvation, right, if we limit salvation just to an event, it's easy to think of, well, Jesus just came to get on the cross and die. And why? Because um, God is perfect love. And so anything that is sin, right, God hates, God detests. And so if I have sin in me, then God can't, there has to be punishment. There has to be some sort of um, payment. And so that's, where Jesus came in. Jesus came in to die on the cross. His blood was spilled because his blood is over me. So when God sees me, he doesn't see the, like the sinful me. He sees Jesus. And he loves Jesus. He's not going to hurt Jesus. So that's how I can get into heaven. Because there was a payment paid for my sin. Right? That is one atonement theory. Penal substitution is what it's, co- what it's called. And when we limit it just to that, we miss out on everything that Jesus talked about. I mean, Jesus, when he sees, um, who is the guy who climbed the tree, Sarah? Um, Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, he's in the tree, and um, Jesus, because he wants to see Jesus, Jesus looks at him. he goes, I'm going to come over for dinner tonight, by the way, and he goes, salvation is coming to your house. What, what is the salvation? What is, is it Zacchaeus being saved from something? Or is he being saved into something? And we treat the, the salvation, even what we tell people, is they hear the gospel maybe for the first time, right? Like maybe a Bible camp, and it's true. and You find inspiration, you find love, and you find this this deep truth, something inside of you deep you didn't know existed. You're like, oh, that feels that feels good, that feels right, and so you say a prayer, right? You say this thing just to get saved. When did you get saved, right? And when we treat it, that as just a historical event, as something that happened at one time, at one place, instead of a way of being, a way of life. John Wimber, um, who um, helped start the Vineyard Movement, um, he, he said, the way in is the way on. Paul says in Philippians 2, he, he gives like this, it's fascinating, the, the, the first part of um Philippians 2 is like, I think it's 1 through, verses 1 through 12. It is like a, like a chant, something that you, you could memorize. And as a community, you would all say it in unison, right? And what he's talking about is how God lowered himself. God, Christ humbled himself and became human and lived the life of as a servant. Why? So that we could live. And it's through that lowering that Jesus was able to ascend into the highest place. Or as Roar would say, Jesus fell up. It's only in the dying, friends, that we can truly live. And it's, it's, it's baked into our system. You look outside the window, what do you see? You see snow, you see trees, and inside of them is, this, it is life, right? There is that sap, there is the, the life, but it is, it is hidden in, it's frozen in. In the ground, there's, there's life beaming, bacteria, life It's happening, but what does it need? It needs that new sun. And then comes spring and summer, where we get to reap the benefits of that life, then fall is a celebration of that life that once was. Right? It's a celebration of death. It's an announcement of death that's coming. We can't get to spring. You can't get to resurrection. You can't get to all things being made new unless you're willing to die. See, when, when, when the early church, or even Jesus, when he says that death is not... Our enemy isn't just because we get to go to heaven and live forever. It's saying, no, death is a way of life. And it's only when we're willing to admit that, it's not even admit it, it's only when we're willing to walk in that, we can get to the second half of life. I heard a rabbi this week um, talking on um, of how the Hebrew people had to make a decision. Either stay with Pharaoh, right, and maybe get a, still get some good meals out of the deal. have a place to live but be treated they were slaves or follow this invitation from moses from god to get to the promised land and what she said was it wasn't about the destination it wasn't just about the destination that they found new life it wasn't also they got there and all of a sudden it's there it was in the journey new life can only happen in exodus in exile but you have to choose stay in egypt or cross the red sea Go into the wilderness, go into the desert. And if you're willing to go into that journey, you're willing to actively walk into what could be death, that is where you'll find new life. So what Rohr calls the second half of life, he says, the first part order. Then something happens where we have to look inside of our container and pull out what that what was handed to me, what I what was taught to me about the Bible, about spirituality, about sexuality about science. We have to be willing to pull it out and look at it. And when we're willing to do that, we can leave some things behind and leave them on the ground. And we can begin to step in to reorder or the second half. And it's in the second half of life. It's not like you have it all figured out and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there yet, right? I'm still on that journey. But what I've learned is that I can get to those places that just would pop up randomly as a teenager in my 20s where I experienced heaven, where I experienced divine. I'm able to see them quicker. I'm able to recognize them. I'm able to move towards it. It happened to me this, this week. Um, I, um, <laughs> I went to bed and had all this pain in my back like uh, up here in my neck and my shoulders, and, and it hurt, and I couldn't sleep. But I, in my mind, I'm like, ah, I'll just sleep it off because I can just decide to sleep when I want to sleep because I am mad and I am strong. I will ignore the, my body telling me to do things, right? So I spend two hours trying to fall back asleep, and I can't. And I'm like in literal pain, I'm like, ah. And um, Nikki said, well, why don't you just take... Some pain meds. Why don't you take some ibuprofen? I'm like, nah, I don't need it. Right? So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. And so in the middle of the night, I hear Nikki's voice again. And I'm like, no, I, I'm going to show her. <laughs> I'm going to show her how wise and smart I was by not taking it, even though I know I should. So I spent the whole night not sleeping, trying to prove a point that no one is going to get. <laughs> and so she woke up, um, had a little bit of compassion, laughed at me for not taking the pain meds. Because guess what I did right when I woke up? Well, I didn't wake up. When I got out of bed, took the pain meds. And she goes, you should go get a massage. And I have not gotten a massage in, I don't know, seven, eight years. But it hurts so bad. I'm like, fine, I will. So two days ago, go get the massage. Three days ago. And it was great. And um, the, the lady, the masseuse, was working on my neck. And she goes, oh, it's funny. Your neck is very guarded. And my eyes are closed. And I'm like what? She goes, it's like, it, it's very guarded. And she began to talk about how, um, we can, our muscles can carry trauma. Our muscles can carry, um, pain and they will, um, guard you so that no one else can have access to you. So no one can hurt you. And I, and I have my eyes closed and I'm like, yeah, 2019, 2020 has been really traumatic for me. And then she goes, yes, I can, I I can tell, like your neck's not letting me in. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until it invites me in. And then she, then she said, and it's amazing how I can hold trauma, but how our body can heal as well. And when she said that, I um, was reminded of this text message I got from someone that I care about. It was very judgmental and it hurt me a lot. I thought about other people that I really gave my heart to and really hurt me. And um, someone taught me this practice of pretending, envisioning a red balloon just floating away and how that comment or that person or that text or that feeling is just floating away. And after she said, you know, it's funny how our body can heal. I took that, that memory, of that person, that text, and I let it just like float away. And then the craziest thing happened. Like I'm, I'm crying, right? And she goes, oh, there it is. It just let me in. And I'm like, what is happening right now, right? There's this deep truth that our mind and our spirit and our body are all connected. And this, the words of when Jesus talks about like what supernatural forgiveness looks like, when Jesus invites us into this way of not just saying, I forgive you, but being a person that's willing to love, period. Who's willing to extend love no matter what it costs you. It's like when you get to that place and you actually participate, you actually engage with it, it feels so right. And for me, like I got a little taste of what that second half of life could look like. So here's why I say this. Of the order, disorder, reorder. We're all, (laughs) we're all in different places, friends. And all of it belongs. A lot of you are in disorder. (laughs) I'll 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 be honest. A lot of us are... Are in disorder, that stage of reevaluating what do we want to hold true? What do we want to leave behind? But here's a beautiful thing. You can leave and put that on the ground, and probably a couple years later you might come back and pick it up. And there's a space for you to find and find out your ego, to fill your container, find out what meaning is. There's a place to process and to be angry. Right? It's okay to be angry. It's okay to grieve. It's okay in disorder to disconnect for a little bit. It's okay to question the amount of th- Conversations I've had with people saying, "I don't know. I haven't read my Bible in two years." It's like, yeah, if that if that's not helping you right now, right? How can you move in love still? And then picking it back up. And then the people who are in that second half are sages in our community. We need you. We need you not just to tell us all the right answers, not just to direct us, but to continue to blaze that trail, to continue to show us what it looks like to move in love. It's not just telling; it's being. It's allowing us to catch it, right? And I'm so thankful to be in a place of where we can recognize that, that we don't have to play this game, that salvation isn't just being saved from something, it's being saved and invited into something, in a way of being. That the way in of this divine, the way into this heaven, the way into this life, is the way on, continually, continually surrendering to that deep, deep love. So to my friends who are in, any one of those places. (laughs) Here, here's to you. You are deeply loved. You are absolutely loved and you are welcome and there's space for you to evolve. There's space for you to grow. Um, There's space for you to be. Let's pray. Please join me. So God, we um, love you and we recognize that um, it is really, really easy to not choose love. Like it feels good to hold on to the anger. It feels good to hold on to that feeling because it justifies our anger, justifies our judgment. So where I start is any of my friends who are watching or listening to this podcast, and there's that comment, there's that person, there's that truth that we once believed, there's that event we just see that red balloon and we let it go and we say that we surrender to love instead of hate we surrender to love to choose to let that thing or that person go so that we can still look at that person we can be in that space it's only in your love that we can move in the way that you ask us to move I pray for all my friends who are, <laughs> who are in disorder, and relooking really looking at the container as they are helping their own kids fill their container. And the the, the oddness and the, the responsibility and how do we pass on something that's good? I pray you would be with them. I pray for my friends who are moving in to reorder. I ask God that they would they would be filled with that wisdom and that love show others what it looks like to do the same. I thank you that all of it, all of this journey, all this process is not a threat to you. It is exactly who you are. You are the journey. You are the process. You are the death and you are the life. And we love you. Amen. Oof. So love you friends thank you for being part of this amazing community and we will see you next week